You're listening to the Joy Junkie Show podcast, episode 385. You can find information on anything referenced in this episode at thejoyjunkie.com slash 385. You're listening to The Joy Junkie Show, your source for getting your shit together in love and life. Wouldn't it suck if I really talk like that? Without further ado, here's your host, life coach, speaker, all-around badass, Amy E. Smith. Well, hello, pod people. Amy here. And I am super excited to bring you another episode of The Joy Junkie Show. If you are wondering what the hell is going on here, where's Mr. Smith, and you've been dipping in and out of listening to episodes, you may have missed that a few episodes back we announced that Mr. Smith is going to be leaving the show And it's all on a very, very positive note. He's got some amazing things that are going on in his work that is occupying his time. So I am going to be experimenting with some new formats and options for the show. And I would absolutely love to get your feedback. So last week, this week, and then for the next two episodes, I'm going to be doing the theme of imposter complex, but I'm going to be doing episodes that are in different formats. So last week I did a coaching episode where I coached a gal named Rachel on how imposter complex was showing up in her workplace. This week I am going to be dialing an expert. Hopefully I can catch her. One of my dear, dear friends and colleagues, she's absolutely brilliant. Her name is Tanya Geisler. I'm going to give her a ring and see if we can pick her brain a little bit. I hate when people say pick your brain. Like why? Why would you ever want somebody to pick your brain? That's gross. Anyway, we're going to give her a ring, see if we can catch her. She's got tons of great concepts and understandings that I think will be helpful for all of you listening, especially if you struggle with comparison, if you ever feel like you kind of have to dim your light because you're afraid of shining too bright, taking up too much space, if you end up people-pleasing or having a tight grip on perfectionism. Those are the things that I am hoping that she's going to be able to sound off on for all of us. So I'm going to give her a ring here in just a minute. But if you are missing Mr. Smith, as I absolutely am, we are going to be doing one final goodbye episode on April 12th. That's the release date. It will be episode 388. And that will definitely be something that y'all will want to just come and appreciate Mr. Smith's influence in the pod for the last eight years. And I would love, love, love your thoughts on these new formats. So if you go to thejoyjunkie.com slash feedback, it'll give you the opportunity to identify what you loved, what you didn't love, what you want more of, what you want less of, any other ideas that you might have. I would love your thoughts on If you like the idea of having one major topic 
that I do over a series of three or four episodes that are sometimes with a guest expert, sometimes solo episodes, and then sometimes me coaching someone. I would love your feedback. Obviously, this show has existed because all of you tune in and listen and get something out of it. And I very, very much care about being what you need and being the advice and the tools and the tips that you are craving. So again, thejoyjunkie.com slash feedback. Obviously, there's only two episodes, this one being one of them, that you can sound off on. So you might want to wait until all four have been dropped, but I welcome any feedback. Extremely helpful for me. Also, I will mention that I plan on digging in with Tanya on concepts around perfectionism, people-pleasing, Those are two of the most prevailing behavioral tactics that I see people do in my work because they don't believe that they are intrinsically worthy, that they are enough. And we talked about that a lot with Rachel on the coaching episode last week. So if you didn't catch that, be sure to have a listen through that. But most of the time, we're constantly searching for things outside of ourselves in order to feel enough. So we think if I perfect, if I'm flawless, then maybe I'll be valuable. Or if I people please, if I make sure everybody else is okay, everybody else is happy with me, then maybe I'll be valuable or then I can put some stock in my worthiness. And the problem with that is those those behavioral mechanisms are all outside of ourselves and are kind of a recipe for us coming up empty over and over again. The reason I'm telling you this is if you notice that these are your entry points, these are the things that illuminate to me that possibly I don't have as much confidence or value in myself, if those are illuminating for you, then I really want to encourage you to think about taking the next step. Now, sometimes it's not just in a behavior that you'll notice, but rather in a relationship that's suffering. So maybe it's in a relationship with your partner where you notice that you're always making their wants, opinions, and needs more important. That's people-pleasing. Or maybe it's a struggle to constantly check off all of the boxes in your work, feeling like you absolutely have to be flawless or else you are an imposter. That's perfectionism. So you may notice that it, quote, hurts in one particular area of your life. And a lot of times we think, okay, I just need to figure out this marriage or I just need to get this new job. What you really need to do is change that relationship with your self-worth. Obviously, I talk about that a lot on the show, but that is truly the nucleus of the work that I do in this world. And if you have gotten to a point where you cannot imagine continuing on, making everybody else more important than you, putting yourself on the fucking back burner, trying to hold on to accomplishment after accomplishment after accomplishment, looking flawless in everybody's eyes, and you are coming up empty and are completely exhausted please go to thejoyjunkie.com slash workshop. I have curated for you a completely free masterclass that walks you through five major shifts that you need to make in order to get you to that point where you genuinely believe that you are enough. This workshop is a precursor to the work that I do in Deep Down and Dirty, which is my primary signature program. And I will tell you, a majority of people who come into this program say the same thing. 
of I don't believe that I am worthy of the things that I desire. I don't believe that I am enough. And then by the time that we are done, they have shifted that. And when those things, when that core belief shifts, then you go out in the world and you establish boundaries. You let go of all that people pleasing. You don't have that tight grip on perfectionism. You can still strive for excellence for sure. But all of your motivation is rooted in a sense of worth instead of I have to do these things in order to be valuable. These people have to approve of me in order for me to be enough. So anyway, if you're interested in Deep Down and Dirty and the work that I do, your first stop is that workshop. It's completely free. Go to thejoyjunkie.com slash workshop. If you resonate, you'll notice very early on, please have a pen and paper handy. At the very end of the workshop, you will have an opportunity to book a complimentary call with a member of my team to talk about taking the next step and looking at exactly the things that you're up against right now and are they things that can be remedied with Deep Down and Dirty. So again, thejoyjunkie.com slash workshop is your first place to start. So I have got a ton of questions about imposter complex, about what is even the definition of it? How does it show up in the world? How does it show up in our lives? And what can we actually do about it? So I'm going to give Tanya a call and see if we can get her take on the imposter complex. All right, let's dial her up. Tanya. Hey, it's Amy. Amy. Hi. Oh my gosh. Are you busy right now? I have a question or two or 40 for you. (laughs) For you all the time in the world. Always, always. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad I caught you. I am over here with the audience right now and we've been discussing imposter complex for a couple of weeks now. And of course I had to call you because I know that you are the foremost authority on this topic. So do you have, you know, like a chunk of time where I, we can throw some, throw some questions at you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's do this. What you got? Yay. Awesome. 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 Okay, cool. So obviously I know you, I love you. I adore you. I know your work in the imposter complex arena, but I would love for the people who, who maybe aren't familiar with you, what is the work you do in this world? Why, why should we listen to you? (laughs) (laughs) So let me get this straight. You're calling me out of the blue and I got to defend myself. That's lovely. No kidding. I'm kidding. That's right. Um, Yes. So I am what you would call a reluctant expert on the imposter complex, meaning I didn't go looking for this work. This work came looking for me. So I've been a coach for, I've stopped counting. So just say since 2007, I always, noticed this through line of an experience that was riveting through the uh, lives of my clients. Didn't matter if they were best-selling authors, didn't matter if they'd been on the Today Show, didn't matter if they sat on Oprah's couch, like they all seem to have this through line riveting through their experience and their leadership. And it became very clear to me that it was the imposter complex. And of course, I recognized it because I myself had experienced it. So that was sort of, it was just endlessly fascinating to me, this, this experience that I had had that I was seeing in my clients, thinking that, you know, after a certain level of success, you don't experience the imposter complex anymore. 
And I recognized, no, that probably wasn't true. So that's the that's sort of the genesis of where I started becoming fascinated with the imposter complex. I can relate to that in the different stages and iterations in my own career thinking, okay, well, once I get to this mm-hmm. place, then I'm sure I won't be plagued with that any longer. And I'm like, oh, uh, <laughs> oh yeah. So, so you're never really immune. Yeah, oh shit. Right. Your work is never really that's done. It, that's right. So I would love to hear, do you, how do you define imposter complex? Okay. So I always start with a bit of a history lesson because I'm a big fan of attributing the teachers. Um, I think it's really, really important. So imposter phenomenon is actually the term coined by clinical psychologist Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes back in 1978. So they were working with high functioning, high achieving women at Oberlin College and recognize the same through line that I was seeing through my clients, which was even if they were high functioning with, you know, and high achieving, they seemed to attribute their success to luck, fluke, timing, or having somehow managed to convince people they were smarter or more capable than they actually were. But their failures, they were more than able to internalize. Okay, so that's really the hallmark of the imposter complex. You 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 um, over identify with your failures and you you don't accept any of your successes as your own. So they were talking. So again, they use the language imposter phenomenon, and you most commonly hear it called imposter syndrome, but that's actually technically incorrect because it's not a clinical right. diagnosis. It's a phenomenon. It's an experience. I call it a complex. And I think that it's important that we say that only because, first of all, my SEO people get so pissed off that I won't use syndrome because, of course, nobody's looking for imposter complex, but they're looking for imposter syndrome because of Lean In, the book by Sheryl Sandberg, where she really named it as imposter syndrome. Uh, But the reason I I get sticky about that is that it's not a a medical condition. And so there's so many different ways that we co-opt medical terms. And so I just like to be really transparent that it's, you know, it's complex clearly, and it's a phenomenon more so than a syndrome. I am so glad you brought that up because that is something that drives me mad about the semantics of it. And I, I think words really matter. And I think there's also this parallel to the disproportionate way that women, women are told there's something wrong with you. And if we exacerbate it by putting the the nomenclature of syndrome, I think it it kind of exacerbates that what it already is a problem of, which is I don't believe that I'm enough or that I'm valuable or mm-hmm. yes. right. Yes, 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 yes. And there are yeah. I mean, and and the truth is, oh god, there, how much time do we have? Seriously, like we could talk about just this go, all the just days, go. right? <laughs> um, so. Yeah, so that's really important, and I'm glad that you see it the same way. The way it shows up, though, so the other sort of tender part of this is that a lot of, like, we think about it as this really internal structure. There are actually systems that are in place, you know, hey, white supremacy culture, hey, patriarchy, where where it really fosters and breeds this imposter complex experience, and this experience is really quite embedded and really part of our tribal need to belong. (laughs) There's a bioevolutionary context to it. So we know that people with strong values of mastery, integrity, and excellence experience it. I always say that's the good news, right? The good news is that if you're experiencing it, it means by definition you have those values, which I always think is like, (sighs) 
really, really, really right. calming. If you're experiencing it, you've got those values. You're also usually on the precipice of something new. So we can see where this newness creates a lot of tension. We know the 70% plus, plus, plus people experience the imposter complex. I say it's a plus, plus, plus because, you know, that data is pretty old. And I'm telling you straight up, I don't, I don't know that I've met a single person in the last 10 years that hasn't experienced it in some way, shape or form. Now, of course, like people are coming to me and talking about it, but it really is. If you've got these values and it's probably up for you, it doesn't show up for you in all areas of your life, but it shows up for you in the areas that matter. So for, you know, so for me, I'll just speak for myself. It's not going to show up in my yoga practice or my, you know, my painting, which I do for fun, but it is going to show up in my parenting, my speaking, my teaching, my coaching. Those are the places it's going to show up because those are super meaningful to me. And, you know, there's something that you're kind of dancing around here that I think is really important to look at. And that is the lens through which you look at imposter complex, because what you've identified there is how it shows up for you, which is going to be very different for, for people in other different intersections of marginalized communities. So tell me just a little bit about that, because I know that's really important for you. It is. You know, one of the things that I have to be that I want to be really mindful of is that I talk about the structure of the imposter complex and there are a lot of things like, so the, the structure as in there are, it has three op- objectives. It wants to keep you out of action. It wants to have you doubt your capacity. It wants to keep you alone and isolated. And when we are dealing with that, then we know where to go next, but, and that really presumes that everybody is having the same lived experience. And we're not. So I can only really talk about this work through the lens of my experience as as a, you know, white, able-bodied, neurotypical, you know, woman of middle-class means living in North America with lots of other privileges that go along with that. So my experience will not be everybody's experience in your podcast or your audience. Pardon me. Podience. I love that so much. It's so <laughs> clever. So glad people. And that's the very reason I have um, my own podcast, which is called Ready Enough with Tanya Geisler, where I'm having conversations with folks who experience the imposter complex at those different intersections than I do. I cannot speak to what it's like to be trans and experiencing the imposter complex. I can't, you know, so I think it's really important that we name that, you know, what what is it? Um, My friend Stacey Jordan Shelton says this all the time. We may be in the same shared space, but we're not having the same shared experience. And so I just really think that in the self-development space, I do think that we like to use the same brush to paint everyone. And I think that's a problem. I think it's a very big problem. And I know that you see the same. It is. And I think that's what we need in, in these spaces where we're talking about personal development to highlight how there is inequity and that even, even in some circles, just being able to have this conversation is privilege. So the other thing that I think is really poignant about all of this, that I really realized over the summer doing some work with Dr. T. Williams, who is is a brilliant social justice educator. And it really points to some of these things that you just mentioned around, it wants you to isolate, it wants you to doubt your capacity. 
And that the notion is that all systems of oppression, whether it's around ableism, whether it's around race, whether it's around gender, systems of oppression are able to stay oppressive as long as the oppressed party believes that they are not enough or that they are not valuable or that they are an imposter. Uh, so by virtue of us standing up and saying, no, I'm going to combat some of the ways this shows up, like procrastination, people-pleasing, perfect perfectionism, et cetera, by standing up and saying, no, I am valuable. I am enough. I am not an imposter. That is already a part of the revolution. That's a piece of us taking back power, right? And so we can speak to that from the marginalized population of being female, mm -hmm. right? But I think what I'm hearing you say is there's all these other intersections that we can't speak to. So let's have grace for other people's experiences. Yes, 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 yes. And I may not be your teacher, right? Like that's, and that's what's also really important. Like I am not, I'm not going to be for anyone, period. But also if that's important, like what I, what I intend to do is to help people find their more appropriate teacher who has a closer lived experience. You just made, reminded me of something quite hilarious. Well, a couple of months ago, I was invited to speak at the African Impact Conference here in Canada. So oh, wow. it's a Zoom uh, it was a Zoom conference, obviously, as all these are. This group reached out to me and I was like, okay, hi. You know, let's just let's just get this out in the open. Clearly, yes. I am a white woman. I'm not from Africa. Like, I will not be able, I mean, I like I can bring in context of colonialism as it relates to um, you know, the imposter complex, like I can speak intellectually about aspects of how the imposter complex is showing up in the African and the African diaspora experience, but it can't like not from a lived experience. Um, right. right. I mean, so it was just like, let's just, let's just be very transparent about what I can. And, can. and there were lots of reasons that they wanted me to um, lead the panel. We actually changed some of the format, but this was, I'm, I'm getting to my point here. So I said, like, so I can't speak to those, those, those places of oppression. And, and they, <laughs> this lovely, this lovely, like 25 year old guy, he interrupted. He's like, no, 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 I understand that. But like, you, 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 you've experienced it. You've got some other things going on. I was like, oh, do you tell? And he said, well, you know, you're a woman. You're of an age. Amy, I died. I'm, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, my God. Are we there right now? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness oh boy that just cracked me up but I'm like okay you know and then like there's like some fat stuff that's happening too as well that's all good you know like I recognize that so um but and you're like you sir you sir can fuck right on us <laughs> <laughs> ah youth um <laughs> and there's you know the uh, and then so then the other part of the the reason for my podcast is if it wants to have you doubt your capacity, if it wants to keep you out of action, if it wants to have you doubt your capacity and alone and isolated, those are systems of oppression, like you said. Like literally when you and yes. I look at, because that's where we should definitely go next is those behaviors that you named. Those are yes. how the imposter complex keeps you out of action, doubting your capacity and alone and isolated, but they can also be overlaid to white supremacy culture characteristics. Um, yes. And guess what else keeps you out of action down in your capacity and alone and isolated alcoholism anxiety mm. you know like trauma so there are sure. these systems these structures and then there are also these contexts that we live in so when i say it's complex yeah. i mean it is complex so you know right. again we are all coming at this from a different place 
but my job has to be to flatten it in some way, shape or form. So we have a, so we're looking at the same piece of paper. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up the behaviors because we talk a lot on the show about perfectionism, people pleasing boundaries, a ton. And I know you have kind of identified six major behaviors that show up as sort of these defense mechanisms, these ways in which we stay safe and just kind of survive. And there's two in particular that I would really like to talk about because we don't discuss them as much on the show. And one of them is diminishment. And you define it as hiding out, dimming your light to make others feel comfortable And in doing so, convincing yourself that you're not actually worthy of shining anyway. So I'm curious with diminishment in particular, how do you see that show up in people's lives? The tricky things about all of these behaviors, the six that you named in particular, they are all double binds, meaning that they get it, that you get it coming and going, right? So I'm going to make sure as I can speak for myself here, because people pleasing is my, is my, is my top grade A biggie. Um, so I'm going to make sure that I fit in everywhere I go by making sure that people really, really like me. Okay. So that's how nobody ever finds out that I'm the imposter. Like I am really good at fooling people. Right. But what happens then is when I'm given opportunities, I think, oh, it's just because they like me, not because I'm deeply skilled and talented and excellent at what I do. Leaky boundaries will be similar similar in some ways because, you know, you want to make sure that you're fitting in. You are upholding an opinion that is not actually yours, right? You're in a group, everybody mm-hmm. wants you to say yes, and you, that you really feel no, but you will say yes and have those boundaries leak. And now you are upholding an opinion that's not yours. So you are actually feeling like the imposter. So it's this double bind. It gets you coming and going. So diminishment, this might be where we recognize that there is something unique and special about us, but it hasn't felt safe to feel othered. Sidebar here for a second. The imposter complex lives in binaries. This is the other white supremacy culture characteristic that it holds. All or nothing is one of the lies of the imposter complex and a trait of the of, um, white supremacy mm. culture. So it lives in the binaries. You were all or nothing. You were a complete success or a raging failure. Okay. So it is actually obsessed with whether, so the imposter complex creates a fear of success and a fear of failure. So not just the fear of failure that we're used to, but the fear of success as well, because of this diminishment piece. For those of us who diminish in some way, shape or form, this might be like, we do actually have a belief or an understanding that we do have something to add, but maybe we have been punished in the past for shining too brightly, for being too uh, successful, for for whatever it is, or we've seen it done to somebody else. So we're going to diminish because of a value of safety, because we don't want to stand out. We don't want to have that tall poppy syndrome experience where we get snipped down to size because it's painful. The double bind here is that, so like we actually might feel like we've got something to share. But because we're afraid of that, we will write the less confident bio. We will find ways to dim our own light because it just feels more appropriate. And because we've been told, you know, whatever the the conditioning is about good girls, not boasting, good girls, not breaking, good girls, good girls, whatever. So that's all embedded there. So we 
start to believe that less confident bio. We start to believe our diminished sense of self, which has us feeling like the imposter. And then it becomes cyclical. Then we keep living into it. We keep showing up. We keep believing it. And it's it's the rat race of how beliefs work. Exactly. It. I wanted to just make a, a point here really quick that all of these behavioral tactics, these things that we begin to employ, we do that in order to stay safe. We're not like, and this is something I talk about all the time is we don't just go, oh, let me become a people pleaser so I can get walked on all the fucking time. Or let me compare myself to everybody so that I can just be miserable and think that I'm an imposter constantly. We do it because there's been some sort of situation that we have gone through in our life where that behavior actually kept us safe. Or to your point with the diminishment, I'm safer if I don't shine bright or if I'm not seen or if I'm not up for critique or whatever it might be. So I just want to throw that out there to everybody listening that, that we're not necessarily saying these are bad, you are wrong, these are bad, but it's rather, okay, now if we can call that out and we can see that, then we can start to shift it and change it. And I liken it to just having a much more equipped toolbox, you know, having newer ways to engage with life instead of diminishing yourself or instead of constantly comparing. We're so on this same page too, because I really think that again, in the self-development space, stop being a perfectionist, just stop being a people pleaser, stop comparing. We do these things because we are, because we are deeply relational, right? Like my work is never about overcoming the imposter complex forever and ever and ever. It's really just like, oh, I see what's going on here. Oof, this must really matter for me because the imposter complex is in the house. Now what am I going to do with it? But my, even my, I'm not interested, I think you're the same, I'm not interested in people completely eradicating even the perfectionism because the perfectionism simply points to a strong value that you have of excellence. Right? That's right. Your diminishment, like like you named and and is probably has everything to do with a deep value of safety and also humility, right? You were raised in a way that, and I think humility is a gorgeous thing. You know, comparison, even it's actually about connection. We'll say a little bit more about that in a second, uh, how I'm relating to others. This is a good thing. And it's actually, you know, and so I'm way more interested in, in upholding that. Um, procrastination may have something to do with discernment as much as anything else. And even leaky boundaries has a lot to do with your generosity and being able to see all of the different perspectives. And people pleasing for me is about inclusivity. And once again, it's also about safety. For so many folks who have been oppressed or marginalized, making sure that they were accepted by the dominant culture is just simply about keeping safe. So survival. Yeah, survival. So like I just I'm I'm excited that we're finally naming that it doesn't make us wrong, doesn't make us bad. But for me, when it keeps you out of action, doubting your capacity and alone and isolated, that's when it becomes problematic. Sure. Well, and I a lot of times will look at any sort of behavior as your entry point for this is your invitation for discovery. The same way I look at emotions as being messaging that it, there's not a bad emotion. It's just something that's comfortable or uncomfortable. And then it's our job to excavate behind it uh, the same way we can do so with our own behaviors. I think we all have these different entry points, right? Like where sometimes we feel the entry point is emotion. Like, oh my gosh, I just 
was scrolling through Instagram and I saw something that made my heart fall and I had this feeling of despondence. Then it's my job to unpack, okay, what's behind that? Some other people have an entry point that is very literal and verbal, like text in their mind of you will never be successful, right? And then it's, okay, now I work with whatever came through there. Other times it's your behavior. It's something like noticing that you just said yes to something that you really didn't want to do out of fear of how you might be perceived. So you can recognize, okay, there I just exhibited some people-pleasing behavior. Now, what do I want to do with that? How can I course correct? Or I like to call it declaring the do-over. So if we look at these things as not necessarily that they are this bad thing, but rather they're an invitation to look at how do I want to engage with comparison going forward? Because I'm not sure if you talk about this much. I did a recent episode on the four fear responses and their modern iterations and how our freeze response has now become procrastination. And how our fawn response, if we were to try to befriend the tiger attacking us, that that has now morphed into people-pleasing behavior. And what those are all rooted in is fear, is a feeling of being threatened, a feeling of not being safe. And so I think for me, one of the things that I try to emphasize all the time around this is that we are never going to be without fear. I think there's one documented case of a woman who did not have a fear response. So unless you are she, (laughs) you are going to be contending with fear, which means you will have these modern iterations and responses, but that's not where the power lies. The power lies in not eradicating them, but what you choose to do with them. Yes, ma'am thousand percent. I really want you to dig into comparison a little bit more about how it shows up. And then specifically, are there things that you give to people, tips or tools to help them start shifting, allowing comparison to kind of rule their existence? I did a program with Lauren Bacon a number of years ago called Beyond Compare. Um, And I love the genesis of this program because it was really, you know, two both did work in leadership space, both both talked about the imposter complex um, in different in different ways. And she worked more with folks in tech than I did. And she had actually come to see I did a TEDx talk a bunch of years ago on Vancouver Island, and she had come to see that, and it led to some fruitful conversations about what I addressed and what I didn't address. And for me, comparison was the piece that I had to leave on the cutting room floor. And we recognized that as two women in the same or in the similar space, comparison was really up for us. And then there was a way in which we could almost be looking at each other as competition. Um, but then we sort of like, okay, so how do we transform it? So that actually was the genesis of the, this collaboration, which I just, I love. And I give a lot of credit to, um, to, to Lauren for coming up with this, this comparison matrix. So there's this idea of, if you think about four quadrants of perceiving like ourselves and others. So at its, at our worst, and that's like big language, we will think about, you know, when we are in sort of in a shadow kind of place, we will, we tend to put people up on a pedestal. So we will, what we call hero worship, which means that I can see your light but I'm going to deny my own, right? This is when we put people up on a pedestal or we disdain, which means I, I see your shadow and I deny my own. 
Now, comparison intrinsically isn't a problem, right? Again, it's highly relational. It's how we're relating to other people. So what is it teaching you? That's really the, the, the that's the big idea here. So we never feel good when we're in hero worship. We never feel good when we're in disdain. But celebration is actually also a way of comparison. So that's, I see your light and I recognize my own. For me and for, for Lauren and I, this was the, this is the work is how do we transform sort of the, the shadowier side of comparison and move into that more, you know, quote unquote positive places of evaluation where I can see your shadow, but I also recognize my own or I see your light and I recognize my own. Again, recognizing where we live or where we are sitting on top of, you know, on top of this, this matrix. Like when I'm scrolling social media, that's not problematic, except when I recognize I'm still like, I am doing this. I'm comparing my, my, you know, what is it? My B reel to everybody else's highlight reel. And I've kind of tapped out and I'm not really conscious about it. And I'm just, you know, really only seeing everybody else's light and just feeling like shit. That's a, that's, you know, big language, but that's what we would call hero worship. That doesn't give me very much space and that doesn't give them very much space. So it's all very layered and complicated as you can imagine. But how this relates to the imposter complex, of course, is this is one way that once again, I'm trying to, if I want to belong on a macro level, I'm going to be comparing myself to other people to see how I'm stacking up. And if I don't, if I'm not conscious about it, then I'm never going to stack up because again, I'm comparing the worst of me to the best of other people that I perceive. Yeah. Yes. And so then I, then I, of course I feel like the imposter because I'm never going to stack up. So it's just this like, so there's way more to it than that. Usually we think about the, the problem of comparison in the language of hero worship which is why I bring that quadrant in that uh, that matrix in that Lauren developed. Um, but the, also the disdain, right? Like that's also part of it too, where I, where I'm like, Oh, I hate the way that douchey somebody markets, right? Really what that's mm-hmm. pointing me to is an opportunity. There's actually probably something in there that maybe they're pointing to, I may dislike it and I may dislike that they get away with it, but there might be something in there for me to explore too. What do I want more of? It's interesting too how this notion of comparison to it, it all kind of filters back to some of the stuff that we were talking about earlier around various oppressed groups and how women in particular, I mean, obviously we can speak to that, that perspective women in particular have been pitted against one another. And that's how a lot of systems of oppression have thrived by pitting marginalized groups against one another in order to stay oppressed. And I see this largely with women hating on other women. Like you were saying that, did you say disdain? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, if you are the flawless body, you get criticized. If you are overweight, you get criticized. If you don't want children, you get criticized. If you have six children, you're, you know, it's like, no matter what, we have found a way to you to weaponize comparison. I'm curious about your thoughts on that. You nailed it, right? That's, that's the setup. You can't trust. And then we also have that tall poppy syndrome. We have that sin about shining. Where I'm most concerned about this phenomenon with my clients is this is part of the reason people are fearful of success because 
they are afraid of being put on the pedestal and then pushed off. They are afraid of having that experience of, of hero worship, right? They call it a canonization to demonization arc, where we think that somebody is just like wonderful and magical. We put them on this pedestal only to shove them off over time because they didn't behave the way that we wanted them to. And the really painful truth of it is we are... A lot of us with that fear of success are afraid that that's going to happen to us. And here's why, because we have done it consciously or unconsciously. There have been ways in which that I can, you know, can speak for myself that I have, I have participated in, in some way, shape or form. And that's the shame of it. And that's the truth of it too. So it's, it's not enough to just say, well, that's not going to happen to you <laughs> because we have embedded experiences. We've witnessed it. We've participated. We've had it done to us. And there's a lot of proof points that, that point to that. That is how it is set up to pit people against each other within the same group. And the, 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 the story of, you know, and then individualism and paternalism and like all, all of those factors play into why this gets replicated time and again. And then I can see how that same process of, oh my gosh, if I get put on a pedestal and then I get knocked off, uh, that that would be the worst case scenario, better diminish, <laughs> better stay small, better hide out, better people please, better make sure everybody else is okay, better perfect, better be flawless. You know, all of, all of these behaviors that you point to. You've lended su such great insight here. I'm so grateful. I'm so glad I caught you. <laughs> Lucky you, lucky you. <laughs> you had the time. You had the time. Um, I'm curious, what would you say for somebody out there who's going, holy shit, I definitely compare myself. I definitely dull my own light. I have issues with perfectionism. I always feel like an imposter. Can you distill down, here's the place to start? There are 12 specific lies of the imposter complex. We don't believe them all of the time. We would literally never get out of bed. Um, the imposter complex, all of these behavioral traits, they shape shift, right? So like to your, they ping and pong off of each other. It's important that we understand the entire structure of it, but it's also important that we find whatever door we need to walk through to explore it further to your language on this, Amy. So mm -hmm. find out for yourself, like, which is the behavior that is the most up for you? And you can find that out. I've got a quiz, tanyageisler.com slash quiz. Um, and that'll just tell you, you know, because it, it is a little overwhelming to think, well, shit, I do all of these things all of the time. No, that's probably not true. You probably do one of the things most of the time, and then it shapeshifts and morphs into something else. But when you recognize that, say it's, say it's diminishment, then I want you to start thinking about, okay, so I diminish. If I were to root into my power, if I were to be better with support, and if I were to hold myself in greater esteem or reverence, as I call it, then that means that I'm going to have a a stronger core and a stronger foundation and hold more presence for myself. Or if you find it, because I also talk about a framework that I called unshakable confidence. So just knowing your way in, if you happen to be a people pleaser, that's going to show us that there's maybe a crisis of integrity. So that means that like, you got to come back and root into your vision and be obedient to that vision, showing up authentically, um, honoring your word to yourself as much as you honor your word to other people. 
Or if it's procrastination, that's going to point you to a crisis of action, which is going to invite you to be willing to fail, to be resilient, to be tenacious. For me, for through my work, I have this framework that I look at these things through. So each of these behavioral traits will sort of like, it's a choose your own adventure. It's going to unlock some places for you to be looking for yourself. But I think it starts with recognizing the one that is the most up for you, the one that keeps you out of action, doubting your capacity and alone and isolated. Because if we try to think of the whole the whole structure of it, that's when we'd never get out of bed also, right? So right. think about which one is the one that is the most up for you. And then that's going to lead you to, you know, your own particular cocktail of diminishment slash people pleasing slash perfectionism. Um, but dealing with the sort of the overarching challenge of that behavior first will be a, a great way to go. I mean, on a macro level too, I'll say if you're experiencing the imposter complex and it wants to keep you out of action, doubting your capacity and alone and isolated. There are three strategies that answer that. You've got to really understand what's actually in the way, really root into proof positive about your capacity and make sure you're not doing any of this alone. But I think that's a lot to even consider. So just look at the behavior that tends to be the most up for you and then reverse engineer from there. So essentially looking at okay, yes, we might have all of these varying degrees of behaviors from time to time. Sometimes it's a boundary. Sometimes it's people pleasing. But for where you are right now, where does it hurt the most? Where does it infringe on your happiness the most? Correct, correct, correct. So we will be sure to link to all of those delicious pieces of um, content for everybody. I know you have the quiz where you can kind of identify which one of these is most prevalent for you. You also have an amazing breakdown of the 12 lies of the imposter complex, which I'm sure everybody will really be able to see themselves in. And that, you know, that's another great point about this is just, and I think you led with this at the very beginning, just to normalize that we all are up against this and it really doesn't matter what level of success you are at. It's not that you eradicate fear. It's not that you eradicate hardship. It's that you change how you contend with those things. And that's really what personal development's about. It's not this end goal of like, I'm fixed. That, do that doesn't ever really happen. It's about a way to engage with life in a more powerful stance, I think. Yes, like full stop, nailed it. And also, I think too, that so many of people in your audience, they're, they are leaders, they're thought leaders, they're change makers, they're visionaries. And I think that, you know, we have to be looking at this on an ongoing basis to be in integrity. And we don't have a lot of models of possibility of, of, of that sort of transparency of, of people naming that, damn, this is a thing that never really goes away, but I've got lots of different ways to manage it. And so that's like, we're all, you know, what's that Ram Dass quote? We're all just walking each other home. I think that's it. So finding your own way to be with it, you are in extraordinarily excellent company. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can be that, you can be that way shower for somebody else. If you name the experience that is actually happening. That's perfect. And that's such, that's already an antithesis to being an imposter is being authentic, is being open. I love that. So where can people get more goods, get more of the 
Tanya Geisler action. So I'm Tanya Geisler action everywhere. No, it's just Tanya Geisler on Instagram. Um, Tanya Geisler Facebook. Um, TanyaGeisler.com is my site. Uh, I do have a Facebook group, which is, you know, interesting. It is called Overcoming the Imposter Complex, but it is in the active sense because it is a constant practice of, you know, choosing differently and choosing differently and choosing differently. Well, we'll, we'll make sure to link to all of that. We'll link to the quiz and I am just so grateful for you being here with us. This is sort of a newer thing that I'm doing on the show. And I knew immediately when I was doing imposter complex that I wanted to get your brilliant acumen on it. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. You know, I've been doing this whole thing in a towel, right? (laughs) (laughs) Kidding. I caught you just as you got out of the shower. Oh my God. Well, that's great. I love being on your speed dial and I love the way you love your audience with so much care. And um, yeah, it's just, it's beautiful. It's it's just, I love watching you work in the world. Honestly, Amy, it's really beautiful. Likewise, my friend. And thank you for your kind words. And I will let you go put on some body lotion (laughs) and dry your hair. (laughs) And we'll, we'll catch up a little bit later. Bye, sweetie. All right. Bye. Wow, what fantastic luck that we were able to catch her. I'm hoping that you got lots of little bits of wisdom from Tanya. We will be putting all of her links, as I mentioned, into the show notes so you can go check out all of the amazing things that she's got going on in her corner of the interwebs. And reminder, I would love to hear what you think about these Dial in Expert episodes, what you think about the coaching session I did last week, things that you want to see. Stay tuned next week. I'm going to be doing a solo episode for you. And the week after that, we will be doing some hypnosis around imposter complex. Again, I would love to hear your feedback. Go to thejoyjunkie.com slash feedback. And if you are interested in taking things to the next level, I highly encourage you to go attend my free, free workshop completely on the house, thejoyjunkie.com slash workshop to really identify those five key shifts that you need to make in order to access that enoughness. So I will see you around these parts next week. Here is to loving and living your most badass life. 